If you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 22 as we continue our study of the story of Abraham. Genesis 22, this is the word of God. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and led him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor. 
Booz, the firstborn, Booz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kezed, Hezo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother, Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Ramah, also had sons, Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makah. Amen. We thank God for his word to us this evening. We're excited now as we come to hear what God has to say. Let's ask for his help. Father, once again, we humbly bow our heads and ask that you will do wonderful things through your word and by your spirit because we need to hear from you in these days of confusion and disobedience. Lord, speak into our hearts, we pray, and richly bless us, we ask it. Amen. If you've been around Rich Hill Presbyterian Church for any length of time, you may know that I did not really enjoy my years at school. Except for the sport, and particularly cricket, which I was pretty average at, I really didn't enjoy my school days. In fact, my school days could probably be described as average or below average, probably across the board. And one of the things that I particularly hated and feared most was exams. I really had a terror of the examination hall, and you wouldn't believe it, after all these years, when I see those rows of uh, tables and chairs set out in examination hall, I still get a bit of a fear. This fear actually meant that when I eventually had to go to university, because I didn't intend to go, but for ministry I had to, I selected units of study not based on the subject matter, but based on the percentage of the, the units that were examined or were assessed. The higher the assessment part, the more likely I was to pick it. didn't matter what it was. <laughs> I would do anything to, to escape having to sit through exams. I hated exams. Now, I know some people like exam pressure, but most do not. What we see here tonight in Genesis 22 is an awful examination. Genesis 12 was really an examination as well. Do you remember that story? Abram was told by God to leave and go. Leave what he had always known. Go to a land that God will later show him. That was a test. Leave and go. And from that time, there were many ups and, and downs. And eventually, we find ourselves here now at Genesis 22. Another command and another test. This time, take and go. This test is harder, isn't it? Take your son. Go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him. In Genesis 12, Abram, as he was then known, exercised significant faith. He passed the test. In Genesis 22, Abraham, as he's now known, needs to do it all over again. 
And this time the test is even harsher. Let's get the text because we have a lot to get through tonight. First of all, there's the challenging test. We see that in the first two verses. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So, Abraham had, test, had passed many a test um, earlier in his life. He had failed some as well, as we know. But now he's about to face this extreme test, this extreme exam, like an exam that he'd never encountered before. And of course, there's a very practical lesson that uh, we're never too old to be used by God. That's what we've been discovering about Abraham and Sarah. Never too old to be used by God. Never too old... to be exempted from the challenge of faith-tested. Never too old. You see, real faith is not believing in spite of evidence, as some people might define it. Real faith is obeying in spite of the consequences. God does not tempt us, as Satan does, but he tests us, he examines us, to bring out the best in us and to strengthen our faith. Some time later, God tested Abraham. Now, the word test there means to test completely through a demonstration of stress. It's that kind of test. It's often used in the Old Testament to describe the testing of the faith and the faithfulness of God's people. And in a similar way today, we see in laboratories and in factories, they, they test thousands of products, not to break them, but to demonstrate that they are good and reliable. And so perhaps it's a, 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 some sort of seating and they just continue, just bang, 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 thousands of times to, to, to test whether it's durable, lasting. God chooses to test the faith of Abraham. And here's the point, folks. God reserves the right to intervene in the lives of us as people. He does. We are his. He is God. And it is his right, it is his right to test the quality and the validity of our faith. As one commentator said, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. If you don't see your faith tested, can you really trust it? And sometimes the most trying tests can come after years and years of following God faithfully. And that's why, sadly, we see so many people who seem to have followed Jesus and, and followed in the faith for years, for decades, they fall because when tested, they failed. Maybe Abraham had, had slipped very quickly after Isaac was born. Maybe it slipped into cruise control, spiritually speaking. But all that was about to change because God wanted to know exactly what was written on his heart. 
as he tested him. God calls Abraham. And like an obedient, respectful servant he was, he replies, here I am. This is the seventh time we read that we know of that God had spoken to him. And probably Abraham was eager to hear, what is it, God? What have you got to say to me? Uh, I wonder, is it going to be another blessing? I wonder, is it, is it a, a move to a more exotic location? I, I wonder, is it some great battle I have to fight? None of these things. Nothing, surely nothing, nothing could have prepared Abraham for the extremely costly and exceedingly confusing message of verse 2. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, let's be clear about this. God already knew the state of Abraham's faith. I mean, he's all-knowing. He isn't ignorant. He doesn't have to learn from us. But Abraham needed to know the state of his faith. And for that to happen, yeah, it had to be tested. Do we really believe? Do we really believe? Do we really believe that God is sovereign? Do we really believe that God is in control? Do we really believe that God cares? Really? See, there's only one way to know the strength of our faith in these kinds of things and other things, and that's when our faith is tested. See, there's purpose in the testing. There always is. There's purpose in the testing. You see, Abraham is a true blue believer. We read from Hebrews 11, that lengthy passage in our call to worship. He's in there in the hall of faith. He receives most verses of all the great heroes of the Old Testament. Abraham receives most verses and if God tested Abraham's faith, what makes us think we could be exempted? We will be tested. Maybe even right now, you're going through it. But for Abraham, it was costly. Verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the, mount, uh, to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Notice the four phrases that God uses there. Your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. With each phrase, in a sense, the dagger plunged deeper and deeper into the heart. With each phrase, the pain got worse and worse. There was no doubt about who God was talking about. There was no doubt that Isaac meant everything to Abraham. There's no doubt about the severity of this test. See, this is real. We're not talking here about a parable. This isn't Ishmael. This is Isaac, the son of promise. 
Because remember, through Isaac, the covenant was going to be enacted. Through Isaac, the Savior would come. But Abraham was being asked now to walk or travel in some shape or form 50 miles and place him on an altar and sacrifice him. It's almost as if God touched Abraham where it hurt the most. And it's exactly what God often does with us. He hurts us where we hurt the most. He hurts us where we need to be hurt. If that's what our need is, it could be our pockets. I mean, the money in our pockets. It could be our lifestyle. It could be our health. It could be our family. But he's sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing. He, he knows what his purpose is. He knows what will be achieved. And it seems at times just illogical. It, it seems irrational. For Abraham, it, this is the end of the hopes and dreams and promises that he'd received all through the decades. The, the end of the divine plan to bless the whole world. Because what God was going to do to Isaac... And what God was going to do through Isaac didn't add up. And so there's a great dilemma in Abraham's heart, no doubt. Do I go with reason? He's my son. Do I go with faith? My way, his way, self, God. I wonder, do we face today and tomorrow with faith? <laughs> we don't face these kinds of trials, but do we face the trials that we do face, the tests that we do face with faith, biblical faith? Faith when there's no way back? Faith when there's no safety net? See, if we do not face the tests, we will never enjoy the blessings of trusting God. But here's the problem. We will do anything, normally. Normally, we'll do anything to avoid, to avoid the tests. And we're very good at avoiding the tests or ignoring the tests. And therefore, we never, ever enjoy the results of having faith in a sovereign and providential God. And we live lives, therefore, of fear and doubt and pain. We live lives that we simply play safe with no risks. And that means that very often our faith is boring. Our spiritual experience is simply predictable, uneventful. It's just like a hobby. So you are, or soon will, face a test. We as a congregation will soon face a test, no doubt. I don't know what it is. In fact, I do have a few ideas. This year, 
tests of whether we really do have faith. And we've got to face it and learn from it and see God at work. Now, you simply cannot read this chapter 22 of Genesis without seeing Calvary. I don't think that's, by the way, that's the main point at all. It's about faith and obedience. But we do see a picture here of Calvary, don't we? Because 2,000 years later in this story, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, died roughly in the same place. Mount Moriah, basically Jerusalem. 2,000 years later, the Son was sacrificed for us. 2,000 years later, Jesus was tested in the garden. He said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That's the challenging test. What we see from verses 3 to 10 is the clear trust. We see immediate obedience in verse 3 and 4. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. There's no wasting of time here. He's up and he's ready to go. God had spoken. God had directed so he must obey. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to talk it over with trusted friends. He didn't even have to pray about it. Move forward and obey. That's what was expected. And it's almost clinical obedience, you know, early the next morning. If ever there was a day to have a sleep in, I think it would be that morning. So why not? Because of obedience, you see. This must be done. Abraham didn't lack care and compassion, but he was called to do something, and he had learned the lesson of obedience. And the the kind of situations we find ourselves in, of course, we, we can't afford to trust our emotions, which are up and down and are tossed backwards and forwards. They're like a yo yo, up and down. We don't trust our emotions. We trust the will of God. And this is crunch time uh, for Abraham. Yes or no, obey or chicken out. Will he, won't he, on the brink? Will I go forward? Will I hold back? Will I half obey, partly obey, fully obey? What do you want me to do, God? I know what you want me to do, God. Will I do it? Our response to tests that we face shows God, ourselves, and the world whether they have made us or broken us. And far too often, Christians are broken when they should be made. So there was time to gather and prepare and to obey. And he got up early, he got the wood, he prepared the donkey, and off he sets, delayed 
obedience is no obedience. Delayed obedience actually is disobedience. And for three days, you'll notice in verse four, three days, he traveled 50 miles, not a quick trip, plenty of time to think, plenty of time to change his mind, plenty of time to make excuses, plenty of time to turn back. It's one thing to start, isn't it? It's another thing to arrive. It's one thing to begin the journey of obedience. It's another thing to finish the journey to obedience. You see, half-completed journey is a failed test. The call for us, for me and you, is perseverance to endure and to finish well. Notice how this was made easier for him. Verse 5, he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Worship, you see, through tests and trials, this is essential that we have worshipful hearts, worshiping a trustworthy God, because whether the actions of verse 3 and 4 are very, very important. Yes, they are. It's the attitude of verse 5 that's crucial, essential, worship. Because, you see, we can, we can have the grin and bear it kind of attitude to trials and tests, can't we? Oh, I've got to get through I'm glad I got through. It's harder to do, go through the motions of testing and not have worship on our hearts and on our lips. And worship at this place was particularly important because, as I said earlier, Mount Moriah is largely believed to be the site of Jerusalem many centuries later. Of course, Jerusalem was the place of worship the place where Solomon built the temple, the place where sacrifices were made to God for the sins of his people, the place, of course, where the son eventually was crucified. So the exact place was revealed by God. They set out on the journey of obedience (coughs) and they knew exactly where to go and they followed God's directions. Again, let's be a people who learn to clearly trust and obey. Let's not be a grumbling, disputing people, arguing about the call of God. We should obey from worshipful hearts. And notice there at the end of verse 5, we will worship and then we will come back to you. What we know is that Abraham actually believed that even if Isaac was to be sacrificed. And at this moment in time, he thought that was going to be the case. If Isaac was going to be sacrificed, then at the very least, God would raise him from the dead. Now, we just don't make that up. We get that from Hebrews 11. Did you hear that last verse we read at the beginning of the service? Abraham reasoned that God would, could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Hebrews 11, verse 19. See, there's a clear trust here that God's in control. And even if the worst in Abraham's imagination were to occur, God was going to sort it out because he's that kind of God. 
clear trust, no doubt, no negativity, immediate obedience and worshipful obedience. But it's also God-focused obedience. You see from verse 6 on, um, we don't have time to look down through all the verse, but you can see it there. The wood was laid on Isaac. It's hard not to think about Jesus carrying the cross. The fire was put in the pot. The knife was held in the hand, the knife that would make the sacrifice, all in verse 6. And then we have this innocent question of verse 7. Remember, Isaac was probably around anything between 17 and 19. Verse 7, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And then we have this great declaration of faith in verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. The focus, you see, is on God, isn't it? Abraham always has the focus on God. If you're going to pass the test, if we're going to show the trust, the focus must always be in God. Because if he wants it, if he wants it, he will provide it. Even as I say that, I have to ask myself the question, do I really believe that? Do you believe that? If he wants it, he will provide it. No matter what happens, no matter what the test is, Faith, you see, does not pull up short. It doesn't cheat. doesn't take shortcuts. doesn't try to help God out. So there's no change in the plan, verse 9 and 10. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abram built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son no holding back, no change of plan. He was prepared to do all that God had asked him to do. He was prepared to go the whole way. That's what faith does, you see. Many, of course, start the journey of faith and get well into the three-day journey. The problem arises somewhere, perhaps, if you're taking it figuratively, in day two. Day one's fine, no problem. Really keen. Day two, slow down. Get distracted. Stop. Turn back. Give up. Don't climb the hill. Don't wait for God to provide. Miss out on God providing. Miss out on the provision of God. And don't enjoy the victory. But here's the good news, because when I say that, I say, that's exactly what I've done so many times. I, I, I I think I know many of you well enough to know that that's what you're probably thinking. But do you know what the good news is? Failing a test is not necessarily the end. It's only the end 
if we allow it to be the end by keeping on failing. If you are failing right now in the walk of faith, then repent. Repent. Turn back. Now. Here. This moment. Because it's the only way. It's the only way. Lastly, this complete triumph, verse 11 to 19, the, the triumph of God is wonderful here. And as again, all of him, the timing is, is absolutely perfect because notice that because Abraham was in, in a sense in the right place, prepared to sacrifice obediently, God provided for him. But listen, folks, we have absolutely no right to expect the provision of God if we're not walking in the will of God, if we're not in the obedient place where God has set us. But God is never late with his provision. Some of us want to be free to be disobedient and yet receive his provision. It doesn't work like that. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord came, called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He, he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now we believe that this is a, a pre-incarnational visit of Jesus. I think the clue there, verse 11 says, uh, the angel of the Lord called, but we notice there in, in verse 16, um, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, the one who speaks is the Lord. But down to the very last second, God's timing is sure and certain in our need. That's the way God operates. You see, the test was passed, and God provides the substitute, verse 13, in place of a son. The Lord will provide. Verse 14, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Here's the bottom line. Just think you think that God is cruel. God never intended Isaac to be physically sacrificed. But he wanted him to be sacrificed in Abraham's heart. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. He always does. Do we believe? So the test was take and go. Faith said, yes, I will. The provision, he provides all that we need. Verse 14, so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. In many ways, as I was thinking this week about this, um, I couldn't help but think that we live and minister on the mountain, don't we? The mountain where, where God provides the place of testing and the place of provision are side by side. Now, do we believe that? Or do we hold back? 
Or do we doubt? And do we play safe? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you know what happened after he said that? The crowds got smaller. Jesus didn't go to the lowest common denominator. Many of us wish that he would have and still does go to the lowest common denominator. No, he doesn't. He taught and demanded obedience and sacrifice, obedience and sacrifice, obedience and sacrifice, and he will provide. Do you remember the rich young ruler? One thing you lack. What did he lack? Go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. After that, you can come and follow me. And he went away very sad because the cost was too high. He didn't obey and he didn't sacrifice. And so he never got to experience God as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He never got to see that. And many of us, you know, we know the story. Rich young ruler, Mr. Rich young ruler, why don't you realize that if if you, had a, if you were to simply obey, then, then, then God would provide for all your real needs and he would give you much more than all your real needs. He would give you many, many more blessings. Why, why didn't you learn that lesson, Mr. Rich Man? Faith in Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Do we believe? I think we should stop talking uh, vaguely and politely about cheap and easy faith. It's a costly thing. Graciously, though, God provides, but he will test us all the time. He will test us all the time, all the time. We feel or we show faith. And verses 17 and 18, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. It's about obedience, isn't it? Sacrifice and obedience, sacrifice and obedience, sacrifice and obedience. He has a plan and he has a purpose and he will work it out and he will use people like you and me and he will test us again and again. And the older we get, the more tests will come and we will either fail or we will stand. There is a green hill far away outside a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified. He died to save us all. He provided then. He provides now and always. And yes, Jesus did carry his wood up the hill, his cross. He was bound in preparation for death. He was obedient as a sacrifice. And the Lamb of God was slain. And in doing so, he took away the sin of the world. But notice what Paul writes um, to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Exactly the right time. You see, tonight God is our teacher. And he's a gracious, loving providing teacher. He's not a cruel, nasty teacher. 
And you know what he wants to do tonight? He wants to teach us. He wants to test us. He wants us to provide for us. He wants to do all these things. He is a good, good God of grace. And he orchestrates all the details of life, the good and the bad, the the happy and the sad, to bring us to the place where our faith will be in him alone. Our faith will be in him alone. He wants us to discover that Christ is enough for me. He wants us to discover that he is all we need. He wants us to discover that he will provide. He wants us to discover that obedience and sacrifice in the place of test is always right. Abraham made it through the test. Wouldn't it have been tragic, so very tragic, if he had got through the three days and he had got up the mountain and he got the knife in his hand and just that split second before God intervened, he messed it up. Wouldn't it have been tragic? That last wee bit. One commentator says, some start well. Some have a poor middle. And some have a lousy end. Teacher Jesus, would you teach us tonight? Will you teach us about your call? Will you teach us about your provision? Will you teach us about your salvation? Jesus, teacher, will you teach us tonight? And Jesus, will you give us the ability to respond so we'll have hearts full of courage and wisdom? And we will pass the test. And we will have complete triumph in the end. May God help us to pass that test. Father, we thank you for these very personal verses in this chapter, challenging challenging us to the very core about obedience and sacrifice and faith. And... Uh, as we measure ourselves up against it, we, we can see failure upon failure, and yet you are gracious and you will provide, and we long, we long for you to lead us by your spirit and by your word so that we will be your faithful people, obedient, sacrificial, and receiving all the provision that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.